It is great to see you. I, I tell you what, I, that, that song that you led off with Ricky, that was absolutely amazing. Isn't Ricky like the most amazing? I mean, he's just absolutely the most amazing. Yeah, I really appreciate the whole worship team. You guys do great. I'll be honest with you, I, I was back there dancing like crazy. Saying, I don't know how you could sit still during anything like that, but it was just, God wants to do some amazing things in our lives, and we just got to let him do it. And he wants to do it in our lives. So we've got Bees Ferry Fest next weekend, Sunday, 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 at 9 o'clock from 9 to 12. What is it? It's, it's, we're putting, we're going to push back on Marion Square's little, uh, you know, thing that they do down there called the Farmer's Market. Well, we're doing the same thing here for the West Ashley folks. And we're going to have artists out there. We're going to have games for kids. We're going to have pony rides. We're, gonna, we're not having pony rides. No, we're going to have uh, food trucks. Uh, I mean, there are going to be games out there. It really is going to be amazing. We're going to have a live band. So the people over in Hickory Hills will be uh, calling the police. That's why we're ending at 12, so that we can end it just in time as the police arrive. So it will be an absolutely wonderful time. See, when I was younger, I learned how to end things just about the time the police were going to arrive. So, um, so this is going to be a really good time, and we're going to have a, a fun time. And I know you're out there possibly, and you're like, well, Pastor Paul, I'm going to have to go to another church because I believe it's a holy day of obligation, and, and you got to go to church on Sunday. Well, let me just say, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul lays out how the church operates and some of its modal changes that it makes. He said, I've given gifts, that Christ has given gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists for doing the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. But you know, when we're here on a Sunday morning, we don't really need an apostle because this isn't new ground. We don't really need the evangelist because your hearts are already here. What we have happen inside this little box environment that we have is it's the time of the prophet, the teacher, the time of the pastor. And that's how the church operates when we're together at this particular point. But then there are times when the evangelist spirit of the church, the, the apostolic going into places where it hasn't been before, part of the church still needs to operate. So that's what we're doing on next Sunday is we're getting out of pastor-teacher prophet mode and we're going into, hey, life, God loves you. We want you to celebrate life with us, be a part of it, let us serve you. So if that doesn't sound like church, you know, I mean, that is church. So we invite you to be a part of it. And just because we're not um, having songs sung for us about Jesus doesn't mean church isn't happening. So be a part of that and, uh, you know, just have some fun. It'll be great. Uh, we've been talking about fault lines in this timely series dedicated to the restoration of relationships. You may say, well, you know, Pastor Paul, I'm not there. I don't really need this. Don't worry. Wait five minutes. If you're in a relationship, conflict will find you around the corner. It won't take very long. Matter of fact, I was, my good friend Ashley uh, was uh, shopping and somebody said something really rude about her Mini Cooper that she drives. And, and, you know, you think, well, how can a conflict arise out of that kind of statement? But, you know, somebody said something about her Mini Cooper and it kind of got, got in her. And, and I'm reading the little, you know, her write-up about it and I'm running to go fight some guy, you know, about don't you talk to my friend Ashley about her Mini Cooper. You know, you love that Mini Cooper. And, and, and so it's funny how conflicts can happen 
anywhere and at any time. So if you don't have some big grand estrangement occurring, but maybe some of these principles will apply in your marriage or in your dating relationship. And also, I just need to put the disclaimer out there that abuse is not a relationship. The threat of abuse is not a relationship. And it doesn't need to be restored. It needs to be forgiven, but it does not need to be restored. There are some people that need, because of the danger that they they pose to your relationship with other people and to yourself, they need to have boundaries. There are times when you put boundaries up, and we'll talk about those, Um, but there's times when you need to just not give somebody access to your life. Those are very difficult. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I love that verse because it says, if it is possible, because there are some people it's just not possible to live at peace with. That there's just something, we talked about it last week, the mark of Cain that something about them that's always angry, always looking to kill, always having a malevolent spirit, and sometimes you gotta create a boundary for that individual not to be able to come into your life. So, we've been talking about geological fault lines and how they perfectly illustrate how we rub up against each other and some of the difficulties that we had. And we also discovered how conflict and estrangement is in our nature. It's not just one people group, it's not just you know, uh, men, it's not just women, it's, I mean, we're all have this nature of conflict in us. And we, we get into fights, we get into difficulty, and it all started whenever we tried to attempt to live together. Whenever mankind begins to the, the process of trying to live in community with each other and relationship with each other, that's when it happens. So it always ensues after we're trying to do something good but we don't wanna give up to doing the something good just because we run into conflict. And so we're learning some of these principles on how we can resolve it and walk through it. And one of the things that we learned last week was that we have to change our personal landscape to be one that others wanna be a part of. When we have a conflict or when we're in that kind of difficult period in a marriage, and I don't know if you've been married long. I'm at 33 years, and um, you just go through seasons when it's just more difficult than it is at other times. I, I don't know if anybody else is out there, but there are times, and the crazy thing is that period may be like a bad five years of your relationship. And so what you have to do is begin to create or cultivate a new landscape within yourself so that there's something about you that attracts the other person, whether it's a child that you have a conflict with, whether it's a coworker that you have a conflict with, you've gotta change your own personal landscape to uh, invite the other person back into it. And, and I constantly do this with my wife, Susan. Whenever I, we get into those stale times, what usually happens in a marriage, and it happens in mine, is that I'll begin to identify all the things about Susan that has changed, and therefore I will assess blame on her. Well, when, when you know, 10 years ago you, you, we did this, and 10 years ago we did that, and, and you looked like this, and, and we, you know, and you can begin to assess blame on why you've departed out of the relationship, but what I've learned is that if I change my own personal landscape and remove the toxicity out of me, that the relationship is drawn back into that space because you become a person that people want to know. One proverb says, if you want to have friends, you got to show yourself friendly. You know, it's like, well, I don't have any friends. Well, well, it's not because everybody out there is wrong and you're right. It's like, well, maybe your landscape is scary. 
You know, maybe you're just the kind of person that people are nervous around or you just put off a, 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 a funk about your life. That, and so we're learning about changing that landscape so that people can feel safe. That's why Jesus said in Luke 6, 37, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Now he's not doing away with ethics here or morality, but rather he's talking about our own personal landscape. That how can we talk about things of right and wrong if the landscape that we're inviting people in to have the conversation is harsh? You know, even if you're the rightest, moralist human being, but nobody can step ground on your property, your personal property, your, your personality, then you can never teach that person anything. You can never convey anything if a person feels judged the moment they walk on the property. And I know it's a big kind of southern thing that we do is like, you know, and I live out in the country and that's why a lot of us live out in the country is like, Son, you step one foot on my property, I'm going to take you out. Well, you know what? That may sound kind of funny, and uh, no, it doesn't sound funny. That's ridiculous. Um, but we, some of us, have personalities that are just like that. We're like a loaded Mossberg pump, you know, and everybody else around it, the kids in our lives know that they can't talk to us. The people in our lives know they can't talk to us, and God's like, Dude, you need to get rid of some of the stale air around you. I know you want your relationships to work, but people can't come on your property. You're, you're not invitational enough in your life. So, as we're starting to try to fix relationships, if your personal landscape is littered with rage, or unresolved anger, or jealousy, or unforgiveness, or intolerance, You'll never restore broken relationships. And I just felt impressed before the service because, again, this is an environment for the prophet, teacher, the pastor. So this, the Holy Spirit moves in a different way here. Um, I really felt impressed that uh, if you're a woman here today and you have unresolved issues with your father, that God wants me to tell you that that, that unresolved issue is going to undermine your marriage and that you're gonna put demands or expectations on your husband that he'll never be able to fulfill because your landscape already has a failed male on it, okay? So, um, so if you're that person, I just, maybe God just spoke something into your heart and it's like, you know, well, I'm just gonna find the right kind of guy. It's like, no, and until you get that dead body off your property, that unresolved conflict, or maybe the gift of every relationship, I don't care how good the guy is gonna come in, he's gonna have to step over that body to get to you. It, the relationship is just not going to work. Yeah, but that, I, that's just something that I, I felt like God told me. And if you go to a church where people, the pastor says, we don't believe God speaks for today, you need to go to another church. So, to create a new landscape, we need to be discovering our motivations before examining others. Why do we want to fix people? And that's why Jesus said, you got to uh, de-log before you unspec. They got to get the log out of your own eye before you start pulling specks out of other people's eyes. You got to, before you dive into your son's issues or your daughter's attitude or um, your coworkers or after you, you want to go after the Republicans or you want to go after the Democrats or the whites or the blacks, you got to de-log 
so that you can really see what is the problem in the relationship. But if we're just wholesaling, going after people groups and, and you know, whatever it may be, then we're just gonna poke people's eyes out. We're gonna end up with a culture of blind men. And we've been already told that the blind cannot lead the blind. So we gotta start off by delogging our own lives so that we can maybe rightly speak into another person's life. He talked this way, Jesus talked about how landscape operates. He says in Matthew 12, 35, the good man brings forth good things out of his landscape, out of this store of treasure, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil store of his treasure. So when you think about conflict, you tend to think about what's wrong with the other person and what they said and what they did to you. Well, Jesus says, wait a minute, just before you go diving into that and starting to take that beam out of their eye, you, you need to slow down and find out, are you bringing this out of a good landscape? Is your landscape safe? Um, is your landscape something that's bringing forth life and truth and mercy? Or is your landscape, you're just gonna bring them back in and you're, just as go you're gonna be just as nasty as when they left, you know? So, so one of the toughest part about relationship conflicts going to healing, and we all have them, is that, is that place in between. I, I'm calling it in stasis, okay? It's that place in between where, where um, things stop moving, where it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, where they left the house, they left the workplace, they left the relationship, and now you're in that, that middle ground in the midst of the conflict. It's a time when things stop moving, it's a time when there is also shock and grief. Where I'm, I really particularly hear this, it's like when a spouse gets left. And all of a sudden, one of the other, spou the other spouse just walks out the door and, and it's just left there. And you're, there's a sense of shock or grief. Or when a child, an adult child leaves your house and they're gone. And not only that, they take their, your grandchildren with them. And now you know that the separation is not just going to affect you but it's go and with your, with your child, but now it's going to affect your relationship with your grandchildren. And I can't imagine not having access to my grandchildren. I mean, it would just, it would just break my heart. So sometimes when we get into this place of in stasis in the middle of a conflict, it's a time when communication stops. It's a time when the relationship is in what we would call a new normal waiting for healing. It's kind of, it's like an odd thing. There's grief in it. There's shock in it. There's a sense of loss in it. But it may, it may last for a period of time. And so we need to know how do we handle life in the midst of the argument, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the separation. But I, as I was looking at it, because I always want to go back to a biblical paradigm of how we deal with relationships. It doesn't mean, regardless of the activity of the other person, that we can't be indirectly helping to restore the relationship. This is really important. I mean, because sometimes we just want to rush back in there and we want to fix things. Moms are notorious for this. Moms want to, want to get it right back fast. And, and that's awesome about them because dudes, your dads, they'll let things be sour for 35 years before they get around to talking to Junior about what went wrong that one Saturday. So you can 
indirectly be active restoring our relationship. Well, how can you do that if the other person's not involved? We are told in the scripture, and it's kind of like one of these odd Star Trek things. It's, uh, we are told in the scriptures that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world in Revelations 13, 8. It's like, wait a minute. Slain before the foundations of the world. So you're telling me God already knew if he put mankind on planet Earth that mankind would end up in conflict and estrangement. Yes. So you mean to tell me before we even got active in our conflict against him and against one another, God had in the, act, inactive, uh, the inactivity of eternity had already prepared or was working on a solution? Absolutely. I love another place in Romans where it says that before we even knew we were wrong, God was already behind the scenes getting things ready for restoration. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, God is already out of, not active in the actual relationship, but and in an in a inactive period is already working on solution. I mean, that's how I interpret the Old Testament animal sacrifice thing. It's like, you know, God wants to do Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the plan to restore all things. But he's kind of like, um, let's do some animal thing here for a while. You know, about, and it, let's speak restoration. Let's, 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 let's do goats for a little while. And, and let's do doves for a little while. And, let's do, and it's like, what's God doing? I mean, those things didn't actually forgive the sins of the world or otherwise we wouldn't have needed Jesus. But God's indirectly beginning to restore the relationship of mankind, getting us to that place to understand what the Lamb of God means. So you can be indirectly active, restoring the relationship without calling them, without texting them, without Facebooking them or emailing them or showing up at their front door. So what can we do to, while we're hoping? I wrote down a couple things. First thing you can do about your conflict, whether it's with your wife, your husband, whether it's regardless of where it is it takes place at work, is Reduce the circumference of the conflict. Man, you got to shrink the circumference of that conflict. Proverbs 25, 9 says, argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute will have no end. And what's that mean? It means that the more you repeat it, the more you talk about it with all the people that aren't involved in it, the circumference of your conflict begins to just go wide. It begins to get larger and larger, and there's more people that are polluted in the landscape of it. So one thing about a conflict is begin to reduce the circumference of the conflict. You don't have to tell everyone. If you are having conflict, Facebook is not where you post it. Okay, that's, you're, not, you're not doing anything about, about that. You're not fixing the world at all on Facebook. You need to shrink that conflict or, or the communication of that conflict. Don't let it spread to everything, you know? And I know it's so easy that every time your girlfriend calls, every time your friend calls, every time you go to work, you walk in, hey, how's your day going? How's it going with your son? 
Well, he had to talk. Guess what he did now? His girlfriend, you know, brought her kids from her previous marriage in and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, really? Do we, do we need to get that story out there? Is this person in the cubicle next to you so vested, praying the gates of heaven for you, serving you, so much so that your son's dirty laundry needs to be put in the street and he needs, it needs to be there? See, the problem is if you get your, if you allow the circumference to go, then you're always stepping through the middle of the conflict and everything that you're doing. And nobody can live a life if it's based around a conflict. You'll never have joy. You'll never have life if it's all about until it finally gets resolved with this one person, I'll never be happy. Second thing, cultivate the ability to live at peace within conflict. Now, we want to live without conflict. I don't think that's possible. I really don't. Now, maybe it's, I only have that view because I am who I am, and I have like a conflict default mode. I mean, I actually excel at conflict. I like conflict. I get energized. Otherwise, I'm sleeping on the couch. I'm like, come on, say something about me. Just say something about me so I can get up off this couch, you know? I just don't feel like I'm living. Maybe you're, but cultivate the ability to live at peace. Instead of us, instead of us trying to create America without conflict, okay? Let's create America where we can live at peace with one another while disagreeing with one another. That's a novel idea. America is not gonna do that. You know, America, just, there's going to be somebody who's going to try to win this. And I'll tell you what, if you win something in your marriage, you made the loser out of your spouse, and nobody wants to be married to a loser. Or nobody wants to be married to somebody that made them feel small. So, cultivate the ability to live at peace. So I would say it this way, your new normal is not conflict. Your new normal is peace in the midst of conflict. That's, that's the new normal God wants you to pursue. It's not conflict. It's not like, well, my marriage is falling apart. It's like, no, no, no. It's experiencing peace in the midst of the difficulties of your marriage. That's what God, that's your strength. That's how you create uh, resolution in the midst of while you're in this place of stasis and you can't get his attention, you can't get him to do what you want to do, you can't do all, it's like, no, you just need to come to a place where you're in peace in the midst of the conflict. Don't lock down on the conflict. Don't reduce your life to just the conflict. And don't feel like you have to fix things now. Oh, man. Susan learned this in our marriage because we would have a disagreement. And uh, that's what I'm calling it, a disagreement. And so whenever it got disagreed, she didn't like me raising my voice, but that's just what Italians do. I mean, we don't mean any harm by it, but we, you know, what do you mean? I, you know, hey, yep, it's good, but hey, hey, you know, there's a whole lot of body movement that goes on here, you know? Uh, uh, grab the gun, leave the cannoli. No, it's leave the cannoli. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Kind of a, my, but we don't mean anything, you know? When we use that word that begins with F, we don't mean anything wrong with, about it, you know? We just kind of like the way we do things. 
But Susan would follow me from room to room, okay? If you got a marriage where you're following your spouse into the next room, this ain't gonna end well. And she would follow me from, I'd go from the kitchen until I'm like, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. And I'll go into the living room and, and then all of a sudden, well, Paul, what I meant to say was, and, I, and then I'd go outside in the garage and she's out in the garage with me. You know, um, you gotta cultivate the ability to be at peace in the midst of the conflict. I'll tell you the secret about being at peace in the middle of the conflict. It's powerful. When the other person knows that they can't pull you around or control your actions based upon the conflict, ooh, it's really, I mean, then it got to the point where, you know, I'd leave the room and Susan would say, okay. And then like a minute later, what do you mean okay? You know, <laughs> I'd come back into the room. It's like, and she would be so powered down and so at peace. Honey, maybe I didn't understand what you were saying. I'm sorry if I misunderstood it. And, and, and you know, my, my rage would be like, Aah! I'm, I'm like Velcro with those little hooks looking for that, the, the fuzzy side. And you know what? And when you're in the middle of a conflict and you're at peace, that, that little hook can't grab your Velcro. It can't stick to you. You know, I got Ben going back there. He's glory to God and then amen and then said something about Taco Bell a few seconds ago. So, I, I mean, it's good. I'm glad it's good stuff, man. Thank you. <laughs> but don't feel that you have to fix everything. Philippians 4.6 speaks to this issue. We normally don't think of it speaking to this issue. Do not be anxious f f about anything. Anything. Yeah, but that doesn't mean my argument with my husband or with my wife or with the disagreement about that I have at work or race issues or gender issues or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. It's like, listen, that's not the way we're going to do conflict in the Christian church. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't try to fix everything because you're afraid. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which understands all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's like, instead of giving somebody else a piece of your mind, give that piece of your mind to God. And you'll be surprised how peace can enter into the midst of the conflict. Live a life that somebody wants to return to. Nobody wants to come back if it's all kind of, if, if there's this undercurrent that's gonna tow us out to sea. But rather make it a place where people, where the ship can come to shore in a safe place. Then the third one is this. So we, we, ta we talked about reducing the circumference. We talked about living, uh, the ability to cultivate peace in the middle of the conflict. And I love this one, it's my favorite one. Um, and uh, step back from tip for tat. I kind of was trying to get a like, step back from tit for tat. You know, I felt like Bing Crosby, you know, step back. Why are you shaking your head no like that at me? I mean, it's people are looking at me like, you're an idiot. You know, so it's like, no, step back from tit for tat. Now, let me explain tit for tat. Is there anybody else in the world that's ever wondered where we got tit for tat from? Am I the only 13-year-old boy in the room 
that, that has wanted to know how did that word get in that phrase, and how come if that word's used in that phrase, it's okay to say? Okay? I'm, so, so I did a little uh, study in etymology here, and I actually researched. Be very careful. When you Google tit for tat, make sure you have the hyphens in there, or otherwise it'll take you on a different uh, journey. So... So let me explain this, this, this thing. Tit and tat are both names of small blows which originated as tip and tap in the 1400s. So it was tip for tap in the 1400s. And so, um, and it was the idea of being kind of punched in the face or slapped in the face. So when we talk about tit for tat, it was tip and tap, but what they said was that during this widespread uh, lack of concern for the English language during the Middle Ages, because they were too busy lopping people's heads off and sticking each other with pitchforks, people would just say, you know, tip for tat, tit for tat. They, they would, really, that's how it happened. And then finally, this one author in um, 1556 finally wrote down for the first time, tit for tat. They were so conflicted, nobody could remember what the word was because they cut that person's head off. So the words were getting constantly reinvented. It's absolutely incredible. So, it's okay to say, it's the idea of being slapped in the head. And Jesus literally teaches us to step back from tit for tat. Literally teaches it. You're gonna hate this verse. And, and let me just say, please stay in place just because you're gonna reject this. I wanna reject it, you're gonna to wanna to reject it. You're not gonna like this Bible verse. But since we know that most relationships do fail and do not heal on their own and seem to have some sort of super need about it, consider the, consider the wisdom of Jesus in this. But I say to you, to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. See, he's shutting down tit for tat. Step back from tit for tat. He's literally telling us to do relationships different, that you normally respond in like kind with other people. We know that Jesus is not telling people to not defend themselves against brutality or victimization. Please do not decontextualize Jesus. Well, that's what the word of God says. Well, he also says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. And I'm looking around here, and everybody seems to have their eyes. So I think we understand that Jesus sometimes used metaphor and uses devi uh, uh, linguistic devices to communicate things. So let's loosen up a couple of the words so that we understand it and, and we can bring it home. I, you wanna bring this home to your marriage. This will save a marriage. Absolutely guaranteed. This will save America. 
I mean, really, this, would, this will save any relationship. He first uses the word but. And I looked that up because I'm like, well, maybe the English translator put it in there to make it flow for the English language a little bit easier. But it actually, that, that Greek word is actually there, but. And because what he's doing, he's, it's the idea of pivoting something from its original way of going. And he's like, well, you've heard it said that you do this, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But he says, I want to turn this. He's like, that's the way you default. This is how we normally work is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But he said, nah, but. So just know this. Since that butt's there, it's going to require you to change the direction of your butt. I mean, literally. You cannot head the same way with relationships that you've been heading in the past. You've got to do them differently. And so Jesus is challenging a paradigm, the way that we do relationships. This is going to be contrary to the way you normally do things. This is not the way Italians normally do things. It's not the way whites normally do things or blacks. Do. He's calling us on to have the character of Christ himself. This is, not, this is not natural. This will not be a default response. This will not be what you're good at. This will not be what your friends tell you to do. This will not be how you did it in the past. Okay, it's going to require a pivot on how we interact with other people. Then he uses the word enemy. And a lot of us can kind of bow out of this because, well, you know, we're, I don't really have enemies. Well, the actual language is, can apply to anyone acting hatefully or adversarially towards you, even just for a season. Has your spouse ever become an enemy? I know I've become my wife's enemy a couple times. You know, have you become your neighbor's enemy for a while, adversarial? So we're, he's all of a sudden breaking this down into really like, okay, th that could happen in the parking lot at Walmart over a Mini Cooper. This could happen anywhere. It's any time we break down the relationship and it becomes adversarial. And he's like, listen, I want you to do this different. I know you had get what you told your husband last time, but I'm asking you to do it differently. I want you to pivot. He uses another phrase, and I'm, I'm going through all the phrases, and then I'll kind of put it all together. Strikes you on the cheek. Um, clearly, biblically, this is a recoverable injury. This is not a strike to death. So I know, we, you know we're playing Mortal Kombat and Halo on our things, and we're body blow, body blow, and bazookas. I mean, you don't play a game usually where a guy just gets slapped in the face and, oh, you slapped me in the face, you know? Usually in the, the graphics, it's like, and, you know, you're taking somebody's head off in a game. But this is not what it's talking about. This is clearly seen as a recoverable injury. And in Matthew, the Greek word is used that means a slap to the face with the palm of the hand. Okay? Can you imagine a, a street fight going down? They got knives. They got, I, I, you can tell I don't really, haven't been in a street fight. But they got knives and spurs and, and little stars that you can throw at each other and, and nunchucks, you know. And, I mean, it's kind of like a Dwight Schrute street fight. And so, you know, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you go up to, yeah, you said that about my mom. Yeah, I said that about your mom. And then just with an open hand, just slapping them on the face. Yeah. Yeah, man, I tell you. I mean, but this, 
Jesus is talking about this kind of conflict. He's not, I, so don't just write this off because I'm not going to let somebody kill me. Well, Jesus isn't asking you to let somebody kill you. He's talking about when you enter into an adversarial moment with another person and you start slapping each other in the face. In the Old Testament culture, a slap in the face was a personal insult. And if I've learned anything from being a, an Italian, okay, a northern Italian, is that when you got slapped in the face with a hand, I mean, you can even see it. Hey, come on, gonna hit you in the face. Uh, you know, your dad don't talk to your mama that way. You know, uh, I can do all this because, you know, you can't cancel me on this one, okay? Because <laughs> that's where I would go. But it was an insult. I remember my father slapping me in the face. And it wasn't just that, okay, I got hit. It was like, to hit me in the face, that was an insult. We find that also in the Old Testament. But the other thing, too, is it's right between the mouth and the ear. Okay, it's not like in the jaw. It's between the, and what are the mouth and the ear? Those are our opinions and our thoughts right here. It's the place of the insult. Then he talks about tunics and, and cloaks. And this is an inventory of stepping back from tit for tat on the inventory of stuff. If you're fighting with your spouse over stuff, about how you wound up the vacuum cleaner cord, okay? Did I just hit something there? I mean, like, really? If you're fighting over that, you need to step back from tit for tat, okay? But seriously, he's like, listen, if it's about tunics or anything, just let them have it. Just be thankful they vacuumed. Let them have it. You're looking for a greater win. Aren't we looking for a greater win? So what does Jesus say? Let me put it all together and close with this. But I say to you who hear, because some of us are not hearing this. I mean, you've said in your soul, I'm not, I'm not hearing this. It's like you don't understand what she did. You don't understand what they said. I'm not hearing this. So Jesus is very clear. But... I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Morally love them, not feelings love them. Okay, there's a big difference. I am called to morally love you, but I'm not called to feelings love you. You know, you probably don't have like great feelings of love for me. Let's just be honest. Okay, but you're, you're called to morally love me. See, he used that word agape, which means sacrificially love them, not self-servingly love them. Don't just love them when it works for you. Do good to them in the midst of the hostility. That's what Jesus says in that verse. Speak well to them in the hearing of slander. When all the slapping's going back and forth, because that's what it is. Stop exchanging insult for insult. Man, that's so hard to do, isn't it? In a marriage, just to like, they say something and then you just come back and you're just standing there like slap, 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 slapping each other back, back and forth. Stop fighting over incidentals. 
You parked your car where I couldn't get out of the, gar- out of the garage. I don't understand why you got to park your car there. Really? You want to have that one? This world doesn't have enough difficulty that we're going to fight over incidentals. Pray for them. So while you're in this moment of stasis and they've left the house, they've left the relationship or they've left contact, pray for them. You say, well, what do you pray for somebody that you're hating right now? And this is, I've learned this from Unbound Ministry. Pray God's best for them. It's like, oh man, dude, you obviously haven't had an ex-wife or an ex-husband. Oh yes, I have. Do you know how hard it is to pray for an ex-spouse? I mean, but that's exactly what scripture says. But what if they've done something wrong to me? What if I want them to get what's coming to them? That's not what that's not how we're doing relationships if we want them to heal. If you want to go with the status quo, cancel them. Cancel, you know, when you don't pray for people that you're having difficulty with, that's a form of Christian cancel culture. You're canceling them on earth and in heaven. And God says, I ain't having it. Pray for your enemies. Pray for the one. And pray what? That they figure out what you mean? Or they come to your way of thinking? Or they do life the way that you do life? No. Pray God's best for them. Pray what you would want to flow out of heaven into your life for their lives. So you may be in this moment of stasis. God's calling us to something supernatural. Reduce the circumference of the conflict. Cultivate the ability to be at peace in the middle of it. Step back from tit for tat. And I've learned one thing. In stasis, in this time of hostility, it can only be changed by living in the Spirit. You've got to have the Spirit of God to pull this off. This isn't just good ethics and say, hey, okay, go do it. Uh, We're told in Romans that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Because you know that but, Jesus said, you have heard said but, that twist is not natural. It takes supernatural. It takes supernatural to forgive somebody for what they did to you. It takes the supernatural to pray for somebody that hates you. It takes the supernatural not to insult somebody back when they've insulted you. This isn't easy, but we need to know this. We're looking around our world and our marriages and we're seeing relationships fail at a record rate. I mean, cultural collapse taking place in front of us. We're We're gonna have to be supernatural about this. We're gonna have to ask God to help us in the midst of it. And if we do, it will, it will work. I, I've had a couple stories of this actually working in my life and I, because I don't own both sides of the story, I can't share them with you and, and maybe one day I'll be able to get to share with you, but let me encourage you. If you will allow the supernatural God to flow into your life in the midst of the stasis, and you do these things, you'll, you'll create a landscape that somebody will want to come back to. Father, 
you weren't just killing animals to kill animals in the Old Testament. God, I believe with all that sacrifice and all that smoke, that Lord God, you were creating a fragrance that says that the landscape between us and you has changed and that we're welcomed back into the garden. God, while we were yet sinners, you started changing the landscape. Can we now be empowered, oh Lord, to do the same thing for our brothers and sisters around us? Start doing a work in us so that the landscape can change, that we can act, actively be involved in a relationship even that is in stasis. Help us, God. Help us to make that pivot. Send your Holy Spirit to us, O oh Lord. Let me encourage you that if you have ears to hear this, like Jesus said, as you come for communion and you eat the bread and drink the cup, you are knowing, you are receiving the fact that God did the work beforehand for you to arrive. And he's calling you to do the work beforehand so that other person can return to your relationship. Ask God when you take communion to supernaturally fill you with his spirit every single day so that you can, you can love in the midst of insult. We thank you, Father.